Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com. Sewers on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Few subjects are nearer and dearer to our hearts than babies and children. Today we're talking about better ways to deliver them and to educate them. My guests are experts on the subject and are forging new ground in the Baton Rouge market. Dr. Ryan Dickerson is the owner and medical director of the Birth Center of Baton Rouge, the only freestanding birth center in the capital region and one of just two in the state. A freestanding birth center is a home-like facility not affiliated with a hospital. It provides family-oriented care for the healthy woman before, during, and after a normal pregnancy, and it's run by certified midwives, doulas, and nurses. Ryan, an OBGYN with Louisiana Women's Healthcare, spent two years developing the center and more than half a million dollars to open it. And in the three years since, it is attracting a growing following here in Baton Rouge. Ryan, thank you for joining us today on Out to Lunch. We look thank forward to hearing more about it. Thank you for having me. Sarah Broom is the founder of Thrive Charter School, a boarding school that caters to the underserved community in Baton Rouge. Sarah founded the school in 2011 when she was just 25, and in the years since, it has grown from 25 students to more than 140. What makes Thrive so successful is its focus on educating the whole child and addressing all their needs, not just educational, but physical, nutritional, emotional, and spiritual. Thrives gives its students many of the things they can't get at home, and it's making a tremendous difference in their lives and in the community. Sarah, it's you're an inspiration, and it's great to have you here today. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Well, Ryan, I want to start with you. You're, you're a medical doctor, an OBGYN with a degree. A lot of doctors like yourself are, are skeptical about the benefits of midwives. Um, why were you convinced of the need for a place like the birth center? And, a lot of it spurred from my training and how, uh, where I was trained. I trained at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas where birth centers have entered more into the mainstream and uh, realized that it is an option and should be an option for the low-risk woman. Um, I, uh, moving here, uh, surveying the landscape of healthcare, I realized that there wasn't such a thing for women here and again I realize that there is a segment and a growing segment of the population that really does want that kind of extra hands-on care that a birth center and, a, and truly a really a midwife model of care really delivers. And so where are y'all located? We are on Picardy within shouting distance of the Baton Rouge General Hospital mm -hmm. uh, and we, I chose that strategically in, in case a transfer of a woman in labor or right after birth uh, would arise we are near there and then how many staff people do you mm -hmm. have at the center we employ four midwives 
Uh, and then we have uh, a handful of nurses who come at, uh, as an, on an as-needed basis uh, to attend births, only when the births are happening. But we do uh, have uh, four midwives on staff uh, running prenatal visits, attending births, and doing postpartum care. And a doula does what exactly? Well, a doula is a birth coach. Okay. And a childbirth educator, typically. And so that's a woman who comes along beside the birthing family to mentor her, to prepare her for, the, uh, for, for, for natural labor. And she attends her during the time, but it's different than a midwife in that she's not medical. Have you had a hard time getting your colleagues in the medical community to refer their patients to the center? I think this is such a new model and such a different idea for the region that it has taken some time to gain acceptance. But now that we've been open for three years, uh, I, there's a growing uh, handful of, of physicians who I believe are uh, excited about the model and uh, realize that there's a place at the table for all of these choices for women. And then does insurance cover it? Yes. That's I mean, I would been imagine one of our insurance biggest... probably likes it, right? Cause well, it's... actually, it's been one of our biggest obstacles since oh. it's never been done in Louisiana before. Uh, in fact, I'm the only freestanding center in Louisiana. There's another birth center uh, in New Orleans associated with Oxner Baptist Hospital, but it is with underneath their roof. We're the only freestanding center in the state. Uh, and uh, and we've been very it's been very uh, difficult to convince um, uh, insurers that this is a lower cost though safe model but we finally did and a year ago convinced Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, which is the biggest payer in the state and that really has been a game changer for us this is so interesting and new ideas always are are difficult to uh, gain acceptance and so yes. I want to come back to you but Sarah you brought a very new idea to Baton Rouge. You're a Teach for America alum, and the story goes that after your service with Teach for America, you were really motivated to open your school by witnessing an unspeakable tragedy involving one of your former students. That's correct. Um, it was a, actually a student at, at our school, um, and I, I taught her younger sisters, um, not her specifically. And, and it was really the experience of um, seeing her. Um, she was killed tragically during a neighborhood fight. Um, and then seeing the experience of her younger sisters coming back to school and recognizing that, um, you know, as a school, we weren't meeting all the needs of these particular students. And, and that's not to say that I think that every sh school should be able to meet those needs. They were hugely comprehensive. Um, but I thought that there should be an environment in which those needs could be met for the kids who really had them. Um, and so Thrive really came out of thinking about, okay, what would it take to serve some of the most at-risk kids who needed the most care, both academically, emotionally, physically, what would it look like to be able to serve every part of a student? Um, and really the only way that I could think of to do that was through a boarding school model. Um, and luckily, as you said, I was very young at the time and, and too naive to know that it shouldn't have worked. Um, <laughs> and so we, we were able to kind of push through a lot of those, those same barriers of it being a very new idea and figuring out even the littlest things of, of how to make it work. And financially, I mean, it seems like that would have been one of the biggest hurdles. That, and of course, yeah. I guess getting certification from the state, you know, on the educational side. But how do you just open a school? <laughs> well, with the support and a boarding of a, school, no less. Right. Well, with the support of a lot of um, really wonderful community members. You know, I tell people all the time, 
that I'm not sure that Thrive could have happened anywhere but Baton Rouge. Um, and, and that's because we had so many committed community members here who were willing to, who answered cold calls, cold emails, and were willing to listen to a somewhat crazy idea um, and, and take a risk on it and make an investment in it. Um, you know, we had to raise about a quarter of a million dollars in just a month or two to get the school up off the ground. And, and it seemed like an impossible task. Um, but after we started telling people the story and, and what we were looking to do, um, we were able to, to pull it together. And something like this is almost a, a self-fulfilling profit. You know, once you, once you start raising the money and once people start believing in it, then more people start believing in it and more money starts coming mm -hmm. in. And, and it grows upon itself. You know, we started with 20 kids. We now have 140 kids. And, and that only happens because of the generosity of this community. And, and you've, you've since moved locations. You now have your own free. You started out in somebody else's space, right? right? And we've since built um, built a brand new campus. So yeah, at first it was tackling and understanding everything that it takes to run a school. And then it was understanding construction um, and building a school, which was a whole different type of adventure. Um, we actually completed construction a few days before the flood. Um, it'll always be marked in my mind by, by <laughs> that date. Um, and so we just moved in. We're spending our first year in a brand new facility, which has been a real game changer for us. Um, but it did take about three years to, to get the thing built, um, which was an adventure. <laughs> and, and you mentioned your boarding school. Do all the students board? Is that a requirement or an option? All the students do board. Um, you know, what we always say is that the, the reason the school exists is to be a boarding school. And so if that's not what you're looking for, then we're not the right fit. Um, for, for a student or for a family. And what we've also seen is, um, you know, even when kids have to, to go to doctor's appointments or dance classes or things like that that take them off campus, um, even for just a day or two a week in the afternoon, they really miss out on a lot of the camaraderie and the community building that takes place with the other students who live there. And it makes it a lot harder for them mm. to, to engage and interact with the other students. So the boarding life really provides an opportunity for our kids to, to really build a great community. But it's really like a safe haven for many of these kids, is it not? For a lot of our kids, yeah. It is a, a very structured place to be um, where there's a variety of things going on that in, in home life that maybe don't make it such a structured place to be. And so for us, it is you know exactly what to expect, exactly when to expect it. Dinner is served every day at 7 o'clock. There's an expectation you do your homework every day. We go to bed at 9.30, although realistically we don't go to sleep at 9.30, but <laughs> we aim for 9.30. You know, there's a very clear expectation of exactly what's going to happen. Kids never wonder if what they're going to have for dinner, never wonder what it's going to look like, never wonder if they're going to be sleeping someplace different that night. It is very, very structured. Um, which is sometimes boring and, and is certainly something teenagers push back against from time to time, but is something that that they all secretly and, and desperately want and, and need. need really. How yeah. how old are they? Who are your students? So we have students in grades six through twelve or six through ten. We'll eventually have six through twelve. Realistically, that means we have kids ages eleven to seventeen um, right now. Um, eventually, when we have all the way through twelfth grade, we will have some students over the age of eighteen and. Our philosophy is that that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's going to take you an extra year or two to graduate from high school because they were behind coming in, nobody here has a problem with that. Let's, you know, you're doing great. Let's get you through high school. And it doesn't really make that much of a difference if it's you're 19 years old or you're 20 years old when you graduate from high school. The idea is, is that you're in a great place. You're going to get there and, and you're going to graduate. Ryan, who are your who are your clients? And your, is there a, a demographic model or a typical 
birth center uh, mother? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, uh, typically, our client is going to be a low-risk woman. With um, we, we have certainly certain criteria, which is a low-risk woman with no medical conditions, mm -hmm. with pregnant with only one baby, so no twins or triplets are done at our birth center. The baby has to be in the head-down position at the end, and so those are kind of sort of the overarching, um, you know, low-risk uh, status of okay. our of our clients. However, the demographic does tend to be a woman who is uh, uh, educated. Uh, and and uh, and really more of a, a holistic mindset, more of a natural mindset, and so that does tend to be the crowd that we get. Though, of course, we really just want to make birth better in Baton Rouge and in the Capital Region, and so by us encouraging women to stay healthier through their pregnancy in order to have a lower risk of birth and a lower risk of cesarean section and a better outcome overall, and if that has influences on the rest of the community, then we're really happy about that. No too. question. <clears throat> what would be the, the benefits or the reasons for wanting to go to a birth center use a midwife as opposed to you know MD. we find that um, I have found that some women do just appreciate more of that midwife model of care and I mentioned this earlier and really what that is is the philosophy true philosophy of midwifery is that birth Pregnancy and birth is considered a normal part of a woman's life. It is not a disease state. It's not something that's about to go wrong. We have an idea that it can, things can go wrong, which is why I'm the backup physician for it and why we have agreements with hospitals. But if we keep her low risk, she is likely then, and studies show, likely then to have a healthy birth and a better outcome. And so it's really a philosophical change. So it's women that are searching for that philosophical change. Uh, I think more more than more than anything, uh, they're tired of the quick visits, going through quickly at the doctor's mm -hmm. office. Maybe not quite getting all of that uh, <laughs> that that education, et cetera, that they want. Have you had to step in? Oh yes. a lot of times. Mm -hmm. We have a 12% um, transfer rate before birth, mm -hmm. and so those women become my patients in my office in a hospital setting. Uh, and we have a uh, about a six to eight percent transfer rate during labor. Okay. So six to eight percent of women that begin their labor in the birth center ultimately will need to be transferred. Uh, and a lot of times it's for uh, you know pain relief or it is for uh, their labor has stalled. Uh, and so thankfully we've not had an had a, an emergency yet. Nationally the rates of emergency are far less than one percent. That's great. That's very encouraging. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're talking to Dr. Ryan Dickerson of the Birth Center of Baton Rouge and Sarah Broom of Thrive Charter School. Sarah, what are your metrics for success? How do we know if you're if if what you you've brought is working? Is it is it better test scores or is it healthier babies, fewer complications? Um, you know, for us, test scores are a huge part of it. Um, and I think in the beginning, um, they were kind of the main source because the other piece of this that is kind of the social emotional growth um, the holistic care of students are they're incredibly hard things to measure we've looked into a lot of different ways of measuring them we've tried a lot of different ways of measuring them we've never really been successful at finding the thing that is a great metric of of that additional growth um, and the test scores are simply the easiest um, but as we've seen over the years, you know, most of our students come to us, we start in sixth grade. The majority of our students that come to us are reading at a second grade level. 
Um, and so even if they, you know, after one year with us, if they start reading at a fourth grade level, that's a huge increase and that's a huge growth, but that doesn't necessarily translate um, to test scores. So we look at um, test scores, but we also look at retention factors, we look at parent satisfaction, we look at student satisfaction, um, we look at a multitude of different factors, but none of them are as easy to, to publicly state and to, to say conclusively as the test scores. What about you, Ryan? And we certainly look at similar satisfaction scores, client satisfaction scores, but we also, sort of the big buzzword now in obstetrics across the country is, um, is value uh, and is cost. And we're finding that at birth centers across the country, we're a third of the cost of hospital birth. Wow. And the other big buzzword now, or the big, the big, the big sort of trend that we're looking at nationally is cesarean section rate. And so birth centers have been monitoring their, 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 their C-section rates really since the early 90s. And that rate has stayed 6% of all women receiving care in a birth center. Okay. Granted, these are low-risk women. These are highly sure. motivated women. Uh, and, and, and so we sort of, some people say, well, you really can't compare that because you're sort of cherry picking them, aren't you? But if you compare the same low risk C-section rate across the country, it's risen steadily in, in upwards in some, in some regions of the country in the upper 30s to low 40%. Well, why is the low risk woman C-section rate that high in particular parts of the country? And why has birth center cesarean rate stayed 6%? Interesting. Yeah. And so we, we, and our cesarean rate is 3 to 4%. Something very, very proud of. So um, that's a metric that we use as well. Do you get pushback from your fellow physicians, or do they look at you a little bit crossways? <laughs> um, I, I think I think they're warming up to the idea. Yeah. I'd like to think. How, how receptive is it, has Baton Rouge been to, to y'all's ideas? I mean, you said yours is growing, thrive, was embraced certainly by the power brokers in the community that realized the benefits. Yeah, I think we've been um, very well embraced. I think it's still a new concept. Um, you know, it's still certainly something we have to explain a lot to families. You know, there's an assumption with a boarding school that it's a military environment or some kind of boot camp something like that and and that's just from what people see on tv and in the movies and um because the idea of a, an academically focused boarding school rather than kind of a behavioral institution is a pretty new concept um especially for for folks in the communities that that we're working in um and so we have to do a lot of of education about what our model is and what it isn't um you know and, but other than that, once, once folks have kind of gotten in and seen it, what we've seen is that it just takes somebody physically seeing it, putting their eyes on it, and then they're really on board with, with what we're doing, especially when you start looking at um, some of the cost savings that are involved and, and how well and how effective the model is for, for certain at-risk students, which sounds very similar to what you're looking at, that it's, it's one of those things where you know, there's a lot of barriers to, to getting something brand new started, you know, where you're dealing with insurance. You know, we had this, a similar thing, dealing with insurance. It took us a long time to find an insurance policy the first time around. Really? We weren't, we weren't a 24-7 boarding school. We're 24-5. And, and so we looked more like, for insurance standards, we looked more like a summer camp. And so we had to shop around for all kinds of different insurance policies just because it's something that isn't, isn't traditionally done in, in the Louisiana market. So even just little things like that that you kind of have to figure out slowly that I, I always think of as 
logistical issues and and to me there's no logistical issue that you can't overcome with with time there's no bureaucratic issue you can't figure out a way to work through or around or whatever it takes but it does take time um, which is a lot of times what stalls some of the newer ideas from from getting moving because not everybody has the time or the energy or the ability to really sit there and kind of fight through all of these bureaucratic challenges and it seems like you know what you've seen a third right. of the cost for a birth seems right. like something that an insurance company would really embrace and now they are certainly but certainly you know we first I had to fight it at the Department of Health and Hospitals level as right. different hospital systems were, were passing were attempting to pass restrictive uh, rules against birth centers whenever I had announced that I was going to do this because of the competition perhaps exactly that's what I what I assume and so I had to go down to DHH and uh, and make a plea there and then it's you know working through the fire marshal and the idea of trying to convince you know the fire marshal people that we didn't have to have these special lighting across the floor and he kept saying but what if a, we are in a fire and the baby has to crawl out and I said <laughs> if we're having a baby crawl out that's a real issue okay yeah. you know I mean, the bigger baby's like than bigger, fire. exactly yeah. exactly the baby doesn't need to have the you know so it's just these bureaucratic things that you just stay patient and you keep your vision. So it's about yeah. the vision and being pure to your vision. And it oftentimes will come along if you stay pure to that. And there are times, at least we've experienced, where staying pure to that vision meant walking away from some opportunities mm -hmm. um, that were available to other other places. For example, you know, we can't, we're currently in a situation where we're not able to apply for any federal grants through the charter school program. You're not able to apply we're, for federal We're not grants. allowed to. Wow. And the reason behind that was, um, the Department of Education has a very clear, the Federal Department of Education has a very clear set of standards around enrollment criteria and an admissions process and that it has to be a completely open process for a charter school. Well, when we, you know, Louisiana allows you to have admission criteria as a charter school that are in, in line with your vision. And since we're a boarding school, we always needed to have equal number of boys and girls so that we could keep them in separate sleeping areas. Um, and, and that was, you know, approved and allowable under, under state law here, but at the federal level, they told us that either we had to change our admission process so that we could have, you know, kind of first come first serve, which for us mm -hmm. would mean never knowing if we'd have more boys or more girls and, and eventually having, putting us in a place where we would probably end up having to put boys and girls in the same dorm space, which is not an option, right. um, or not being eligible for the federal grants. And, you know, the folks that we talked to at the federal programs office for the Department of Ed were very sympathetic and they said, we completely understand why you need to do this. We don't disagree with you. We think this is the right thing for you to do, but it just doesn't line up with our policies right. and, and we there's nothing we can do about that. And so, you know, there are times when being different, you know, you can work through them, but, yeah. but there are times when it, you also just have to kind of say, you know what, this is the most important piece and I got to walk away. And I might not fit in this particular bucket of your idea, like with Blue Cross Blue Shield, well, where do you fit? Are you an ambulatory surgery center? Are you a hospital? Are you a clinic? I'm not, I'm neither. They don't have a yeah. category for you I don't you have at a all. category. So <laughs> patiently we waited and a category was created. That's yeah. wonderful. And some of this is just about communities coming along with new ideas you know it's it's something that you know you kind of get some people used to and and um what you have to do to get started and then it's a slow process to bring the rest of the community along with right. you and to get used to this different kind of concept um and it's about education and telling people what you're doing and how it's different and and how that um how that affects them and a lot of times those conversations get lost in in kind of bigger picture 
um, places. You know, it's hard for somebody to read about something online. They really have to experience it for themselves. Um, you know, I have a, a very dear friend who just had her third baby and, um, you know, was in labor for, I think, like, I don't know, she was in active, la active delivery for like four minutes or something. I mean, it was something <laughs> ridiculous. And, you know, she'd been in the hospital for all of like two or three hours by the time she delivered and, um, you know, really didn't want the IV, didn't want she all that. She should have birthed at the birth center. And she could have birthed huh? at the birth center. And, you know, but I imagine there's a lot of just a lack of knowledge mm -hmm. um, right. about the options that are available out there. Um, and then you got to look at how do you also incentivize people to look at different things. I have to imagine that for an insurance company, you know, a third of the cost of a birth in a birth center is worth some kind of incentive to their patients to right. go to a birth center instead of, you know, a traditional hospital. And so it's, it's just a broad picture of community education. You start really small with the folks who can influence and help right. you build, and then slowly, slowly you grow. Um, and it becomes more of a community norm. Mm. Speaking of growth, where do you all see yourselves in, say, three to five years? What's your plan? You know, um, actually, I I'm working on that right now, and um, my hope is is to, um, well, regionally, um, people in Covington and the North Shore are clamoring for a birth center. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a birth center, a freestanding center in the entire city of New Orleans. I am uh, really seeking out opportunities to uh, to expand and to have uh, at least one in all three of those areas, and, and then who knows from there. What about you, Sarah? In five to seven years, we're looking at a fully grown-out campus, um, which will have two dormitory buildings, a school building, and 350 students in, in grades 6 through 12. Well, Sarah Broom and Ryan Dickerson, you all are both very impressive and bringing great new ideas to Baton Rouge about how to bring babies into the world and how to educate children so they can be happy, healthy, productive members of the community. It's wonderful to hear your stories. Thanks for being with us today on Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you. you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Dr. Ryan Dickerson of the Birth Center of Baton Rouge and Sarah Broom of Thrive Charter School. You can find out more about the Birth Center and Thrive Charter School by following the links on our website. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Today's show was recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. All the music on Out to Lunch is composed and performed by Mitchell Foreman. You can find more of Mitchell's music wherever great jazz is streamed or sold and at mitchellforeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for It's Batonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, 
banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com.